Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You are with Lyle and... Minnie. Minnie. How are you this morning? You know, I'm really thankful for the days when you have time for things because I don't always. And when I do, I'm like, this is lovely. <laughs> That's what I'm feeling nice. thankful. Yeah. This morning, I was just like, I didn't really have time, but I had just enough that I wasn't totally stressed. And I was like, yeah, this is good, isn't it? It's a nice start to the day. Whenever I have time for things in the morning, mm. I run late. <laughs> Actually, no, that's also real. It is. It's Absolutely. a thing. It's like this morning I had mm. about I had an extra 10 minutes to play with Yeah, because I'd done some things the night before that I don't usually do the night before to get ready for the day uh-huh. that was going to come up. Didn't have to do those things this morning. Yeah, Relaxed. It's true. Ended up leaving like five minutes late. <laughs> yeah. That's me actually probably many weekends going to church. Not proud of that. It's just the fact that I'm like because – our church starts at like 10.30, but we get there from 10 or you can set up from 9.30. But because I'm like, oh, that's ages. Like it's half hour drive, but I've got heaps of time. I wake up early. Particularly in comparison to doing breakfast radio. No, exactly. Exactly. I'm like, I've got heaps of hours in the day. I'll often still wake up at 6 or whenever, so it's still early. But I'm like, I've got all this time. And somehow I'm still never early. Like- you got like four <laughs> hours to get ready. You, know, you can normally get ready in 10 minutes. You got four hours to get ready. Yeah, well, that's the problem. I'm like, I don't need time to get ready. I'm quick. And yes. then, yeah, look. How are you this morning? What are you oh, thankful for? Oh, just amazing. I'm thankful for history mm, and nice. historians. Mm-hmm. Has there been anything particular like today or yesterday that has caught your attention? Uh, well, I was studying some history yesterday uh, via audio books while I was doing some other work and it nice. was pretty um, – History of World War Two Eastern Front it was pretty visceral, kind of sobering stuff, like mm. next level kind of Super horrific. Super interesting, though. But very interesting what humans can do. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Yeah. All right, let's have some positively different news to pick us up in the morning. Oh, let, look, let's do that. So a woman has donated 62 gallons, which I think is like over 200 litres of breast milk to mums who are struggling to breastfeed their babies. So over the course of the pandemic, the mum of two was inspired to donate to others after issues um, herself with her first child, and she was determined to overcome her past issues, so she she sought a private lactation consultant and began overproducing, pumping up to 2.5 litres in one day. I don't know what's normal, but she turned to a local Facebook group uh, for mums in the area, and at one point she had consistent people she would donate to every single week. Um, One family that benefited had recently adopted a baby and were in need of more milk. Another family had a baby that suffers from borderline fatigue to thrive, which is a condition where a child's weight is significantly below that of similar age children. And, yeah, and so this this mum... Katie Bannerman said it it was just been so good for her to be able to contribute to others who just had a hard time when you're a new mum because she said she knows what that felt that, like. That's a pretty significant amount. That's huge, I think. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like <laughs> I have uh, the two women who are in the, here in the studio this morning whose minds are just absolutely <laughs> melting at the thought of uh, what this lot. woman is accomplishing. Yeah. And so the American Acad- Academy of Pediatrics actually recommends that infants be exclusively be- uh, breastfed for the first six months. Yes. But only about 25% actually are. Oh, really? Mm. And that's to do with a lot of reasons. But for Katie, the mum who uh, was donating this, she said – because of the problems she had, she felt so much guilt about not being able to look after her baby like she wanted, etc. And so she she's just so thankful that she can help other women to help their baby get its needs um, because she, because of her donations. Um, because, yeah, 25%, that's, that's pretty low um, for... That's scarily low. Yeah, but... And a lot of women do really struggle with breastfeeding and sort of you, yeah. if you think back in history when breastfeeding was kind of the only thing that babies... Yeah. Had access to, yep. you know, and you'd have some babies that would be starting on solid foods much too young because, you know, the the, the mum was struggling with breastfeeding or whatever, mm. um, and you had a higher child mortality rate than what you have today. Yeah, yeah, it's a um, it's it's a, it's a big thing, and it's a huge privilege for mums to be able to breastfeed. Yeah. Absolutely. So in another story, uh, and yeah, a new study out of the University of Saskatchewan has found that stretching is superior to brisk walking for reducing blood pressure in people who have or are at risk of developing elevated blood pressure levels. They first found this by accident, so they were doing a different study. So what about both, though? Look, it's probably still good. But I, I would think both would be the best of both worlds, right? Yeah. Oh, you can't go wrong. <laughs> Really, if you're going to do both, I'm not going to imagine it's going to do so harm. Just to go outside, do yeah, some yeah, stretches, and then go for a walk. Yeah, <laughs> that's the one. But if you don't have time to go for a walk, or if it's raining and you don't have a there we go walking mill. Yeah, walk, a walking mill. Yeah, is talking about treadmill? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I was like, what is a walking mill? <laughs> I got a you. A walking mill. Yeah. Um, if you don't have one of those, then maybe you know a few stretches. Good stretch, yeah. Might, sounds like it might be a good thing. So the study came about by chance, as I said. Uh, so Phil Chilibeck, I want to say his name is. So he's the kinesiology professor and study co-author. They were comparing a group of walking students, uh, people with people who are on a supplement, and somehow in that they found out this kind of idea. And so the professor went, hmm. I need to do some more reading about this. So he went back through the history of kind of other studies and, yeah, found that because stretching a muscle also stretches blood vessels, they become less stiff, it's going to reduce blood pressure, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, So then his team conducted an actual intentional eight-week study, uh, a trial comparing walking and stretching. So the people in the stretch program were given 21 different stretches for both upper and lower body, doing all stretches at least a couple of times each holding the stretch for at least 30 seconds. Um, he believes there's also a component about stretching that activates the nervous system and makes you more relaxed, which I actually love stretching. Don't do a lot because at the start it's really painful. I'm like, oh, this is – my body's broken. It's not. I'm just like haven't stretched enough. But then afterwards always, oh, it feels so good. So anyway, I thought that was quite interesting. I just feel like stretching now. Did, telling this story, does it make you feel like I need to stretch? Absolutely. I'm just sitting here like squirming in my seat trying so not to stretch. <laughs> if you are at home listening this morning, then of course. Yeah. Stretch and listen. Multitask. That's yeah. That's it. Stretch Stretch like no one's watching. Yeah. We're not. So. Exactly. <laughs> now, it's actually, I used to stretch every morning before I went to work for like half an hour. And it was when I was working at a nursing home years and years ago. So I had to get up pretty early anyway. It was just the best start to the day. You were just like, oh, 
Oh, and now you have the science to back it up. There, there we go. That's right. Okay, another story. I just thought this was super interesting. So in 1968, Navy meteorologist, meteorologist Paul Grisham lost his wallet while stationed in Antarctica. Two weeks ago, 53 years later, someone handed it back. <laughs> oh, no way. <laughs> because in Antarctica, it's not like it's going to deteriorate no, very much. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so someone had found the wallet while they were demolishing old buildings at the McMurdo station, including the building where he lived between 1967 and 1968. It contained a rations card with 21 punches left, his car license, and a card with instructions for what to do in the event of a nuclear, chemical, or biological attack. So that's something to carry around. Yep. Um, and yeah, he said it. in Antarctica. Yeah. <laughs> they let off a nuclear bomb down there. I think uh, that's not going to be good for the world. Mm, no, good for no one. Anyway, yeah, so he said it brought back so many memories of the station working, you know, 12 hours on, 12 hours off for a period of five months because, you know, yep. it's cold and dark and or really light, you know. But And then there was also a two-lane bowling alley, alley which was always in use. And I just thought there's something special about when you get like a pe- – well, maybe people who aren't sentimental don't think this, but I can be quite sentimental. And when I find something that I've lost like years – like, you know, I could have been like a kid. I'm like, oh, I didn't know I still had this. It is the best feeling it's so ever. so good. It is. It is. I uh, Some years ago when I was down in uh, Tasmania and I went and tracked down my dad's old truck, which had a canopy on the back, back of it, and mm. went digging around in the back of it and found all kinds of stuff from my childhood that had just sort of been tossed in there, you know, to, you know, for, I guess, storage or something or other. All kinds of treasures mm. that I had no idea still existed. Nah, it was really amazing. Very, very special. Absolutely. Look, if you guys have any stories of things where you've lost or forgotten about something and you found it or someone else has found it and given it to you, give us a call. We'd love to hear. I love story time with people. It's probably my favourite thing. So, yeah, if you guys... If you guys have anything you want to share, give us a call, send us a text. Yeah, I found a model boat that I made. Made this model boat in Pathfinders, so I would have been, what, 10 or 12 thereabouts? Mm. No, old, no, probably around the age of 10. Yeah. And uh, it was a sailing model boat, model sailing boat that we, you know, we took it out on the ocean and actually sailed it on the ocean. Nice. Um, which was pretty special and pretty amazing. Uh, found this boat. Is there? All intact. Uh, well, the mast and rigging was a little bit the worse for wear, but I re-rigged it the other day. Nice. So you can go out and sail it again. So, you know, 40 years later. And that's a pretty cool thing to make and find. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it was just very, very special. Brought back so many good memories of, um, you know, doing stuff with my dad. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. This is some research coming out of the United States and um, particularly focusing on events around the recent elections, mm. I mean, Trump and Biden, and they asked some interesting questions, one of them being um, whether or not people believed that it was um, very likely that Trump was fighting against a cabal of pedophile Democrats. Whoa. That's pretty full on. That's a pretty solid... Yeah, like, like, and, and, and this is an interesting one because, and you can kind of see how this one has gained traction. Because I remember when I was a teenager, people used to talk about, you know, a cabal of pedophile priests that was operating right. behind the scenes. And it was a massive conspiracy theory. Hmm. 
and you'd get your conspiracy theorists be into it. They're like, oh, yeah, you know, this is happening and that's happening and the other, and they, these priests are forming these rings and they're getting together and they're abusing these children and so forth. And and you, it was the kind of thing you'd sit back and like, yeah, yeah, yeah whatever. That's a, mm-hmm. It's just um, it's interesting, but it's a conspiracy theory and it is probably wildly ridiculous yeah. <laughs> until we had a royal commission and found out that this had been going on and it was a very, very real thing that had been going on for decades. Mm. And when you have that, and, and of course, no different in the United States, they've been having grand juries and so forth, is no different over there than what it is here. And so you can understand how people could find something like that in today's day and age quite believable. Mm. Okay, so here's the breakdown. Uh, 29% of Republicans believe it. Eighteen, and, and then the religious breakdown, 18% of Catholics, 15% of Protestants, 12% of atheists, 11% of Hispanics, 7% of blacks. It's interesting in the United States how they, whenever they do research, they have to break everything down according to religion and race. It's kind of weird, right? It's really weird. It does my mm. head in every time. It's like these are all the different buckets that we have to put people into and unless you're in one of these buckets, then you have no identity. Mm, mm-hmm. You know, It's the only country in the world where when you get the COVID stats, they're going to give you the COVID stats. Well, this many amongst white, this many amongst Hispanics, this many amongst black. Mm. Yeah, they never yeah. give it to you for Asians. Yep. Yes. It's just a strange culture. But anyway, that's the way it is. Um, let me see here. In the unsure but possible, like mm-hmm. that's believable category, 30%, 37% of atheists and 50% of Hispanic Catholics. That jumped up huge. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's one of those things where, and, and you can understand 50% of Hispanic Catholics because they've come from countries that are, um, you know, massively Roman Catholic. Yeah. And so they have the same problems that you have in Australia and the United States where you've got um, auricular confession, where which is basically a grooming device. You know, you couldn't get a more perfectly invented grooming device than uh, the confessional box. With along with pedof- not not um along with um the priest not marrying. Yeah. I'm, my brain's going blank this morning. <laughs> celibacy, right. celibacy of mm-hmm. the priesthood which our Royal Commission and several grand juries have identified as being two of the largest contributing problems. Mm. But they're coming from countries where nothing's been done about it. Yep. Except they know anecdotally that it is, you know, just as big as everywhere else and just as much of a problem as everywhere else. And so you can understand why they would be more prone to say, yeah, we're unsure about this, but it's believable. Yeah. Which is a shame, hey. It is. Like. It is. But it kind of, when you study the history of what has taken place over the last, you know, 20 years or so, you can see why people start to think this way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, okay, so then they had another question. Uh, was Antifa involved in the capital incursion? So was there uh, members of Antifa who's kind of led that thing, instigated it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? 30% of white Catholics uh, 33% of Hispanic Catholics. So once again, you have to break it down by religion and colour. Uh, 33% of white Protestants, 25% of black Protestants, 19% of atheists and 22% of agnostics mm. believe that that was actually the case. Interesting. Yeah. 
that uh, basically what basically the idea behind that was that when you know the capital building incursion took place was there was a bunch of Republicans who were all upset and they were infiltrated by uh, people from the left who were like we have some upset upset people here if we do this they're going to follow and that's going to look good for us. Mm. We do know that there were some members of Antifa there because, I mean, that's a fact. There was at least three that have uh, been identified and one who has, you know, just publicly come out and said, yeah, I was there, I was a part of the incursion and was a member of Antifa. So that's interesting. Um, widespread voter fraud is believed by 62% of white Protestants. Um, and Biden not being legitimately elected is believed by 63% of white Protestants. So that's pretty big. Whoa. And the scary thing about that, and, and, and this goes along with the, uh, with the next stat that I'm going to share with you, is this one, 41% uh, believe that if elected leaders will not protect America, the people must do it themselves, even if that requires violence, 41%. Been saying this for a while. Every election that we have had in the United States in recent times has taken us one step closer to a civil war. Yeah, right. And bloodshed. We need to pray for the United States. Uh, 55% uh, believe that it is mostly accurate that a group of unelected officials in DC were working to undermine Trump. Wow. Well, kind of hard, in my view, it'd be kind of hard not to believe that. Every government has unelected officials that they actually task with. Undermining the opposition. That's how elections work. I'm not quite sure about that particular stat right there. But anyway. It's pretty hectic though, isn't it? I was um, the other day yeah. contemplating yeah, the civil war in the United States, you know, over the slavery issue years ago. But I was looking at some of the themes that came out kind of bef- in the, um, is it the prelude before that all happened? And I was like, we're seeing this completely mirrored, like in people's behavior. Yes. Today. And I was like, I'm not saying there's going to be a civil war, by the way. I'm just saying. It no, me either. The mentality, I'm like. It's a bit scary. Totally. It's a bit sobering. You know, and it also makes me go, man, human, we haven't improved. We haven't got any. But don't, don't tell me that we have. Don't tell me that our consciousness is more enlightened or whatever. No, human nature does nah, not change. Absolutely. Exactly the same. While we're talking about that, we spoke about Lucille Randon yesterday, who oh, uh, yes. today she celebrated her 117th birthday. So she is not the oldest lady in the world. The oldest lady is Tanaka. Uh, Kane Tanaka, who is 118. But think about this for a moment. Okay, so when she was born, mm-hmm. this is a couple of years before aeroplanes were invented. <laughs> she is still alive, mm. right? Yeah. She has conversations with people and talks about the First World War like as if she was there because she was. she was. Oh. She was in France when that was happening. Wow. <sighs> Right? First yeah. World War. Yeah, yeah. If you think about the First World War for a moment, when the First World War started, think about this. When the First World War started, the fastest thing on the battlefield was a horse. Mm. And that had been unchanged for the entire history of Centuries, the world, 6,000 yeah. years. Mm. By the end of the First World War, the fastest thing on the battlefield was an aircraft. And 19 years later, 19 years later, the Second World War starts. By the end of the Second World War, you've got jet aircraft and atomic bombs. That's a big uh, difference in technology. In a very, very short amount of time. Very short amount of time. 100%. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. 
Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 87.8 or 88. Joining us this morning, we have Luke Ferrugia, who gives us a monthly update on the Oz Table Talk podcast. Luke, welcome to the show. Hi, Lyle. Thanks for having me on. So tell us, what is the uh, what, what subjects have you guys been digging into in the last month? And, of course, your podcast is a podcast that is kind of based around, you know, the conversations that a bunch of young guys might have over a meal after church on a you know Sabbath or a Sunday afternoon whenever you go to church and yep. kind of based around the things that we yeah I guess often share in a in, in a conversation and dig into but don't necessarily you know put into a series of sermons or Bible studies so what have you guys been getting into yeah sure so um, there's been a few different things we actually just finished uh, as this week the last one went out we did a three part series on spiritual burnout and what that looks like oh so wow. that was. That was a really interesting topic because we wanted to, we wanted not just to be us, you know, sharing our experiences. We wanted to be able to, get the, sorry, my kids making some noise. We wanted to be able to share the ideas from people in our community as well. And so we've got a few people from our community who sent in like uh, bits of their experience and their stories and how they dealt with burnout in, in their lives. And uh, yeah, we, we had, it was a really amazing discussion. Now that sounds interesting. So you've got, um, participation from the community. So we've got some anecdotal evidence. Did you actually have the opportunity to go back and to find some, has, has anyone ever done research on spiritual burnout? Uh, look, uh, as far as like actual studies, I, I, I didn't have any specific studies that I, I looked into, but as far as, uh, I, we, one of the people that we had on, uh, is a professional counselor who, uh, has, uh, you know, certainly um, dealt with it in her own experience and, so it, there was some uh, like professional viewpoints as well, which were which were really helpful to try to to try to define it, to try to define the problem. And uh, yeah, it was actually really interesting to look at the difference because spiritual burnout uh, is very closely connected with their identity as people, right? Most people who consider themselves to be spiritual or Christian, they consider that to be very core to who they are. And the the, the problem, I guess, or, or the danger with spiritual burnout is when we burn out in that way or as a result of our, our spiritual interactions or, or church activity or any of those sort of things, it has a really de- detrimental impact on who we are because we associate ourselves so closely with our spiritual identity. So every year by the end of the year, you know, come Christmas time, I'm feeling flat, I'm feeling empty, I'm feeling like, you know, there's kind of yep. nothing left in the tank, I'm running on fumes, that kind of thing. Am I mm. suffering from physical burnout or spiritual burnout when that happens? And where do you draw the line between the two? What did you find out there? Oh, such, a, such a good question. One of the things we identified as a, a, a marker, I guess you could say, is that burnout is essentially when you get to the place of you, when you try to rest, you're still not recovering, right? Your recovery rate and, your, and the rate at which you're expending the energy, spiritually or physically, is out of balance. And so you can't get back to where you want to be without some sort of dramatic change happening. And so we define spiritual burnout particularly as when it's the spiritual activities in your life that are, that are creating that, that negative cycle. So for people that are perhaps quite involved with church or people who are, uh, you know, it's not, it's not exclusively church workers, but people who are finding their spirituality or, or that that part of their life being the, the very thing that's draining them is probably a, a good way to look at it. So in, in your case, um, is it possible for you to experience it? Uh, yes. Um, 
if you're tired at the end of the year and having a break over Christmas fixes the problem, then it's probably not actually burnout, like uh, spiritual burnout. It's probably just a, a physical exhaustion and you just need a break. So. Good news. I'm glad to hear that. You have uh, encouraged me tremendously. Um, <laughs> So you've done this three-part series on uh, spiritual burnout. That's a fairly yeah. extent. Have you ever done a three-part series on um, Oz Table Talk before? Yeah, we, we've, we have run a few series. We've, we've done a series on how to get the most out of church. Um, we've got another series that we're working on that uh, hasn't come out yet, but will in the future on relationships. And so yeah, we have done a few series. We did we did some things. Uh, uh, no, there's, there's a few different ones we've done. But yeah, no, it's not not as common as. Uh, we have done in the past, for sure. Certainly indicates that this is a major issue that needs to be discussed. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the one of the things that I found really interesting was some of the viewpoints that we got from the community. Uh, you know, a, a lot of the people were uh, taking the viewpoint of, well, you know, we need to be more uh, more kind to ourselves. You know, like that we shouldn't be trying to force ourselves to be something that we're not, and that is absolutely true. But we had some input as well on the other side of the coin that says, as long as we are in harmony with our with our values. You know, it's okay to it's okay to work hard, right? It's okay to push ourselves in whatever way we feel is uh, our calling in life, and and that is a legitimate thing that is really important. But we need to recognise the balance somewhere in there. Yeah, and I think that uh, I think that balance is you know that that key thing that we're always trying to strive for. Uh, in that you know, if we don't push ourselves, if we don't push the boundaries, if we don't try new challenges, and uh, we might. There will be talents that will just lie latent that we never, ever even discover. There are callings there that God places on our life. And I guess there's also that uh, concept that, you know, all of God's biddings are enablings. You know, if God asks yep. us to do something, he's not going to do that without giving us the power mm. to be actually to be able to accomplish that. Uh, there was actually an excellent, an excellent quote from uh, actually one of the founders of our church that we were looking at, and uh, it, it said something to the effect of uh, exactly what you just mentioned, that God's biddings are enabling. But if we find ourselves that we are you know, irritable and we are not performing well, then we need to ask ourselves what we have taken on, what responsibility we've taken that God did not ask us to do, because that, that is taking on more than what God has asked us to do. And I thought, you know, that's a, that's a challenging thought for somebody like me who has the tendency to overcommit to things, and I, I find myself in that place off. Uh, it's an interesting thought to then uh, re- reflect on it and say, well, have I taken on something that God didn't actually ask me to take on? Um, yeah, that's a very balancing uh, concept, mm. I think, that mm. um, that you've mentioned right there that helps us to be able to self-evaluate and to actually mm. choose for ourselves, what, what okay, what is it that's going to work for me? And sometimes I think we fall into that trap of, you know, Paul talks about not wise when we compare ourselves amongst ourselves. <laughs> I know in my experience as a minister, there are many times when I look at other ministers who are out there and I see what they're accomplishing and I see the hours that they're putting in and I just feel slack. Yeah. But the reality is I don't have the capacity that they have. Mm. And I have to recognize that there are people that don't have the capacity that I have and we need to each one individually understand what our capacity is, I guess, and at the same time not use that as an excuse for being lazy absolutely and, and that is the that is the tension there and that's one of the things that came out in the in the the discussion that authenticity is essential you know it, it's okay to it's okay to be worn out it's okay to be tired but if we're pretending to be something that we're not and we're projecting that onto others then you know that is that sets a, a bar for people that that they can't cross and it, it makes 
it allows you to burn out, but then it also sets up a culture for everybody around you to do the same thing, especially if they're doing it. And so if we're all just honest about what we can do and, and we're not, um, you know, we're not living a life, so to speak, then that, that enables everybody to be honest about when they need a break, when they're taking on too much, when they, and if everyone's being honest, they'll be hopefully be taking on what they can and not taking that step into, oh, well, someone else will do it, you know? So you've got some extra guest uh, people that you've invited to be a part of this podcast, uh, some people yep. who are speaking about their experience, others who are speaking from a counselling and professional perspective. Yeah. Did you find that the two matched up? Did, were the counsellors, you know, were they talking about things that were relevant to the people who had actually experienced spiritual burnout? Yeah, I, I think so. The thing that I found very interesting was that the, um, I think we had three guests. Three, three extra guests. Um, yet one who uh, was a counsellor and who had experienced burnout themselves. Um, another one who um, had been engaged in full-time ministry and had also experienced burnout. And uh, another one who has also been um, in, you know, in a pretty significant um, local ministry, you know, head elder of his local church and that very, very ministerially active kind of guy. Uh, and, you know, everybody had some degree of experience with it. And th- there were elements that were relevant, like right across the board, that were absolutely in agreement. And what I found really interesting, though, was that they all overcome it in slightly different ways, but with similar principles. Like, you know, as an example, the uh, uh, George, he he is very much into sports and he's very athletic and those sort of things. And so for him, the those sort of mindset, that sort of mindset that gets you to grow and recover, like from that perspective, they were the principles that he applied to um, to burnout, which made a big difference for him, which you know resonated really strongly with with some of us as we were discussing it. But uh, also some of the some of the others, they came at it from a different perspective. But one of the things that was universal undergirding all of it is that if we're allowing ourselves to burn out, there's usually something wrong with how we're viewing the world, something wrong with our theology, whether we believe that God is an exacting God that's trying to force you to do something or, you know, some other error in what we believe about God, but that tends to lead us to unhealthy places. And so that would seem to be one of the undergirding principles, that if we believe something that's unhealthy, eventually that comes into our behavior, and if it comes into our behavior, eventually it leads to burnout. Mm, mm. How long-term can the effects of spiritual burnout last? What Did, did you find uh, well, out some information there? Yeah, so um, it, it was a range, but it was, generally speaking, it was a long-term thing. You know, like one of the guys on the team, Ben, uh, you know, he experienced a fairly significant burnout when his, uh, you know, his life changed rather dramatically, and uh, he re- was reflecting on it during the episode that that was three years ago, and he's, he said he's almost back to 100% now, but it's taken him three years to get there. So, oh, wow. you know, it can be, it can be a really long-term thing. And, uh, like, I know, uh, some of the other experiences that were shared, it, it ranged, but it was probably in that sort of, uh, six months to two, three year sort of window for a lot of people before they felt that they were back to where they were before they started. Mm, mm. Yeah, that is a, um, that's a pretty significant amount of time. And it kind of reflects an experience that, you know, I've had, you know, as a church mm. pastor where, you know, I've had, you know, a congregant, say, for instance, um, you know, sitting in church every week, you have a conversation with him, always have a fantastic conversation. The guy's always got good things to say. And it's like, well, you know, you, you naturally as a church pastor, you want to get people involved and, and sort of asked him to, you know, take a, 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 
you know, a Bible study or to take a, uh, you know, even just a prayer or something or other, and mm -hmm. to come to find out that this was somebody who had experienced spiritual burnout, mm -hmm. um, you know, possibly even a decade ago, and uh, just being asked to do those kind of things triggered a response that really quite shocked me. I'd never, I'd never actually seen it like that before, and I was like, wow, you know, spiritual burnout can have really long-term effects. And so, yeah. yeah, perfectly comfortable to be at church, but not comfortable to to lead out in church services. With spiritual burnout, did you find that uh, all of the people that you spoke to, you know, this was just a situation of overcommitment, or did some of it come from traumatic churches? That's a really good question. Um, I think some of the, some of the experiences, I'm, I'm just thinking through their experiences. I think some came from uh, a multifactorial sort of thing where it was a mixture of taking on too much, but also the fact that they weren't supported. That, that's, that was something actually that, that George brought out really strongly, that it's absolutely essential. If you're going to recover from it, that you need the right people around you because while ever, you know, when you have the right... Whenever you have the right people around you, then you actually have a, a way to let that let that pressure out. And I reflected on that from my experience because it did it did happen to me once in the past. And for me, I was I didn't have a good support structure around me at that point in my experience. And so it was a dramatically different experience to when I was dealing with similar problems later in life when I did have that support around me. And so yeah, definitely not having that uh, church family around you to. Uh, appropriately support was a big factor. Mm. Now, just uh, if we could uh, just maybe um, change the subject for a moment. That you did a three-part series on that. Did you have a fourth um, part to the to yeah. normally do for the month? month? What was yeah, the, yeah. What was so the, the fourth the, subject? The other one we did was "Does God Care About Your Time?" and uh, that was a, an episode on time management, basically, because our uh, our time is something that is it's a non-renewable resource and everyone has it and really what it counts is how do we use it, right? And so we were reflecting on that in the sense of, you know, the greatest people in history all had the same amount of seconds in a day that we do and yet they were doing great things and, you know, we may or may not be. And so we were asking ourselves that question of how do we relate to that? How do we, how should we use our time, you know, especially based on what we believe? You know, how does what we believe affect how we utilize our time? And we ask those kind of questions. Right. So in some ways, you could say that that was kind of related to the three-part series. Yeah, it was totally unintentional. We actually recorded them at, at different times. There was some space between them. It just sort of happened, happened that way. But, um, yeah, there's definitely some crossover principles there. Fantastic. Uh, Luke Ferrugia, tell us how do we access uh, Oz Table Talk? All the information is on our website, oztabletalk.com.au, but you can also find us on Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts. So Oz Table Talk, uh, head over there and check out their uh, podcasts, all kinds of fascinating subjects. Luke Ferrugia, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.